0: You're listening to The Ecopreneur Show, a podcast that inspires entrepreneurs and creatives on how they can make a positive and meaningful impact in the world. I'm your host, Vanina. Every other week, I hang out with entrepreneurs, business owners, and leaders that are creating real-life solutions for a more sustainable future. I feel by having raw conversations with ecopreneurs that will keep on inspiring us to take action in our own lives. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, entrepreneurs! I hope you are well and safe during these times. I want to let you know that this episode was my last recording in my studio before COVID-19, and I've decided to release this episode because it explores the importance of workers' rights, that most of our clothes and products are made in factories where workers' rights are really limited or even non-existent. I personally learned about this firsthand when I was a fashion designer in San Francisco and um, as a student, and I was still really passionate about sustainability. And one of my first assignments was creating a sweater where I wanted to work with local manufacturers in the area to highlight and support their work. At that time, I kind of assumed that because it was made in the Bay Area that it would have good and fair working regulations. But when I actually visited the factory, I was personally really shocked by the conditions. There was piles of clothes everywhere, there was poor ventilation system, and personally something didn't really sit well with me. And this was a great learning lesson for me because it made me realize that it's so important to not make assumptions. That it's really important to ask those hard and difficult questions. And that just because it's made in the United States doesn't necessarily mean that it's more ethical. And what I mean by made, sewn, and manufactured. And just because a producer tells you that they have fair working regulations, doesn't necessarily mean that it's true. I'm really excited to share this episode with you because it's with the founder, Kelly Payton of Ma Wovens. And when she was building the business from the ground up, she really didn't make those assumptions and actually flew to the factories to see everything with her own eyes. To determine who she would and wouldn't work with, so let's dive on in, and I'm really excited to share this episode with you. So Kelly, thank you so much for being on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, can you
1: give a quick introduction about what Ma Wovens is? Yeah, Ma Wovens is a conscious woven goods brand, a hand woven goods brand, um, and we're based out of Portland, Oregon.
0: And how did you uh, first get into yoga?
1: I got into yoga when I was in my late teens, probably around 19 when I started going to, well, basically when I was in college. I'd been introduced to it earlier on, but I hated it. I was never flexible. I was more of an athlete. And it didn't. It took until college, I think, when, you know, it was the first time when I was really stressed in my life and feeling all of that pressure. And all my friends started doing Bikram yoga. And... um they were also working at the studio, so it was really enticing because they were getting free yoga. So I went and gave it, a, gave it a go and started digging it, and I started cleaning there, getting free classes, and then so that was, you know, my gateway drug is a lot of people say Bikram is like the way you get into yoga. Wow. So that's where I started.
0: Okay. Gotcha. So you were really into um, Ikram yoga um, and that's the heated yoga, right? Yeah. Okay. Super hot yoga. Yeah. Okay. So you were doing that. um, And then how did you first get into sustainability?
1: I would say sustainability didn't get fully on my radar. I mean, of course, when I was younger, I was always into biking. Um, I really loved the outdoors. I've spent tons of time in the outdoors, but I don't think, I don't think I was a true like You know, advocate for it as much when I was in my early 20s. But when I got into grad school, is when I think I started really thinking about it seriously, mainly from the point of view of how I could contribute or how my job could contribute to it. So I think that I started taking it really seriously. Like it was always a concept in my head. I've always loved the earth and taken that really seriously, the planet. Um, but taking it really seriously to the next step, where I was actually implementing it, was probably in grad school where I developed my, the product.
0: Okay, yeah. Can you so the ritual rug? Yeah. Can you talk about how you
1: came up with the concept? Yeah. So um, I so my background is in I, I'm an artist by trade. I used to be um, and so I had a bachelor of fine arts. From when I went to undergrad in Reno, Nevada, where I'm from, and I wanted, and I was a painter and a drawer, so very two dimensional work, but really into color and pattern, and that was always in my work. Um, Yeah, what sort of mural like work did you do? Yeah, so I was a muralist um, in in the area. I painted over a dozen murals in Reno. I was just like all about being outside and making work outside of the gallery, but I did do some gallery work too. just playing actually playing with a lot of concepts around mother nature and what if if mother nature was personified what would she look like and what would she be kind of how would she exist in sort of culture or it was you know things like that um so i decided i wanted to go to graduate school in my mid 20s you know I was having that sort of quarter life crisis thing happening <laughs> and i was like i actually went to move to oakland to see if maybe i could get into school and in the Bay Area, that just was way too much for me. Um, Yeah, it's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. And so I I ended up applying for grad school in Portland. Oh, wow. Um, It's a very long story, but um, I applied to applied craft and design, which is a little bit different for me since I came from a fine art background, very two-dimensional. And I was drawn to this program here because it was more entrepreneurial-based and kind of had this like kind of like a product stint I would say it's kind of like a Bauhaus program so super different for me but I really wanted to move out of working in two-dimensional art and more into like what can I do to get my concepts through but through through people who are actually using it Mm. not just people who go to a gallery because I thought that that whole that wasn't my scene I didn't feel like that was where I belonged so very broad concept very broad. What am I doing with my life? I just know I want to break away from the two-dimensional sort of space. Um, so I got into grad school in Portland. It's between It was between two schools here, PNCA and Oregon College of Art and Craft. It was like a joint program. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's cool. It was really cool. Basically, it had anything you could dream of in terms of like craft or, I mean, you could take painting classes, but like ceramics, welding, wood, um, obviously weaving, text like everything you can think of. It was like, here's a space, go wild and come up with something. (laughs) And here's some classes along the way. No way. Yeah. It was really cool.
0: That's a very different structure as somebody who's been, went to art school. Um, you know, usually you take certain classes, you know, ours was like, uh, we had 2d, 3d, 4d was the foundation class, but it was very structured. Like you had certain things and there was less time to play. So I think it's great. To have a sort of Bauhaus style. I think that's. It
1: was a lot of play and it was a lot. It was not highly structured, which was made it really difficult Um, because you were just kind of felt like you were swimming around (laughs) and it was like I could go in any direction. And that's what that first year I feel like they make you like feel like crazy because you're like, you know, I come and I'm like, I'm a painter. (laughs) And they're like, no, you're not. And they kind of break you down and wow, get your hands dirty in all kinds of mediums to where something starts to click. Then what happened after? Was it your second year you started? Right. Exactly. So my first year, I was kind of like drowning, (laughs) like trying to figure out what I was doing and why I I chose this path. Um, I ended up doing my yoga teacher training the summer between my first and second year, mainly because I was feeling – I know that doing yoga helps me obviously clear my mind, feel grounded, like, oh, that's what I need. And Grad school can have a way of making you feel crazy and so busy and strung out that I knew I needed to do some serious like soul searching because I didn't like the idea of getting out of school and not knowing what I was going to do, which is the fear of every artist. And so I did a teacher training actually in Mexico, which I have a long history of going to Mexico when I need to soul search because wow. I'm totally in love with that culture. And Any reason why exactly? I don't know if I can say exactly why, I've you know, been speaking Spanish since like high school and um, I tr- went to school in Chile for a little while, so I'm pretty fluent in Spanish, so I just love that. But then I started traveling to Mexico and just completely fell in love um, just in general with everything. Um, but so I decided to do my teacher training there to just get out of Portland and get away from everything and seriously try and like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> But just trying to really calm down um and it was there you know when i'm like sitting on this kind of deteriorating i have this very vivid memory of sitting on this deteriorating like neon purple yoga mat you know that i'm slipping on and we're learning all this philosophy like yoga philosophy and mindfulness and just like the stuff that is so rich about yoga and i'm just like whoa this doesn't this thing i'm sitting on to have you know, this very important connection is totally, it's totally off. But more so than that, um, I have always had this idea around when I slip because I tend to slip on mats on the rubber surface, I have sweaty hands.
0: Oh, I feel you on that. Yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) So, um, you know, I'd have to buy a towel to go on top of it. And I had like a very specific vision of like, if there was texture where my hands are, or like, if there was like ribbing you know, so like I could kind of see this like textured thing and and you know wow just the vision of that and then it kind of all came together of like, oh hand woven stuff, you know, you're seeing that all over Mexico sitting on this mat. And I'm like, maybe that could be woven. Wow. Okay. So I got home and then enrolled in weaving classes. Okay, gotcha. Okay, yeah.
0: so I was about to say too, since you came from a painting mural background, right. very two dimensional. Yeah. Um, I also, um, before I applied to California College of the Arts, I also was a fine artist too. I was a painter, drawer, sculptor, but did not. I went. I majored in fashion design. Um, oh wow! So awesome. yeah, super different. Yeah. Um. So you signed up for weaving classes,
1: and what was that experience like? It clicked very quickly for me. I'm not really sure why. I think it was. Um, I was very sure about working on this product. And for me, it was, I went in with a very specific, you know, I was the only grad student in the whole class. It was all undergrads. And I was like, I'm learning weaving now. Like it's my last year in grad school. Like I'm going to learn how to weave. It looked crazy from the outside, but um, I knew what I needed to get to. And I literally like took classes until I got to the point where I was like, okay, I figured out the type of weave I need. And then I dropped out of the weaving because I was like, this is all I needed. I need to just focus on this thing. And um, and I just went crazy. I was just weaving like a crazy person wow. <laughs> all the time. And then, um, I, you know, it became my thesis was the ritual rug, but it looked completely different. I was mainly interested in the material hemp right. at the time. And so I, I created more of a beautiful art object made with hemp, but also in the hands and feet was where I had cut started cutting up strips of the rubber. And I only put it in the hands and feet. So at this time, I was like very. I was thinking more of it being like a very sacred kind of art object, but with texture. So that's where I started using actual yoga mat material inside of the rug, but it wasn't an, it wasn't a product yet. Okay, so you just said that you were really into hemp.
0: Can you, for our listeners, talk a little bit about hemp, the material?
1: Yeah. Um, so hemp. For this product and specifically works, I'll just talk like fundamentally for this product. Um, I found it because, you know, I tried all different types of materials, cotton, etc. This is such a perfect material because of how durable it is. Obviously, it has the sustainability bent. Um, it's the type of crop that regenerates the soil that it's that it's in. It uses way less, significantly less water than um, cotton. But it's all just like the durability of it, and it's naturally antimicrobial, which is really amazing for sweating. Um, and it also softens with use. So at first, it can feel a little tiny bit rough. And this is different. A lot of people in the US are used to hemp, like the stuff we used to make necklaces with when we were kids, like the hemp rope.
0: Right, yeah. This
1: isn't that. This is hemp yarn. So it's been treated like yarn, so it's a lot softer. But then... Um, over time, it becomes even softer and softer, but it won't stretch. So it's a very, very like ergonomical thing to use for this product. And um, so yeah, hemp in general is just a really magical plant. It's not, it's been illegal to grow in the US for a hundred years or so, but our hemp comes from China, which they've been growing it for on their website 8,000 years, but thousands and thousands of years specifically in this area of Northern China. And so it's like, and it's all organic. Um, it's just, you know, they've been standing by this crop forever and yeah. So it's a really cool, it's like an ancient crop. Yeah, and that's yeah. what I love
0: about it. I think it's, um, yeah, it's funny cause, um, I know a fair amount about, especially majored in majoring in fashion design. I know a lot about materials, but hemp is actually one of the f- ones that I'm not super familiar with. So that's why I was very excited to interview you. Um, more like many other reasons too, but when you sourced the hemp material, can you talk a little bit about what that process was like mm-hmm. finding a yeah.
1: manufacturer that you believed in mm-hmm. and that yeah. you felt, yeah, of course. Um, it's- well, so kind of fast forwarding, when I got out of school, I bought a loom and it took years of, um, prototyping to get to a point where I was like, okay, I actually have a product now. Like that was enough time in itself to just get to the point where I was finally like, okay, I have a product. I've convinced some people (laughs) to give me some money to help do this thing. Yeah. Cause you launched the kick. Do you mean the Kickstarter? The Kickstarter was after even, so I did bootstrapping, (gasps) you know, I, um, you know, you boot, I bootstrapped from friends and family. It was my mom. Basically it was kind of this long story that, she was able to help me at this time and it was only at this time before that she wouldn't have been able to, but it all kind of came together and it was ready to go. Um, and so I was able to start, you know, sourcing and not just materials, but manufacturing became the next step, which is its own story, but it just all pretty much started on Google (laughs) and, um, literally Googling, like, where do I, you know, the way I started it was I, reached out to this woman in Canada who I bought my hemp yarn from, which it's almost impossible to find this hemp yarn. And I was looking all over the U.S., couldn't find it, so had to reach out to her, where did you get this hemp? And she said, China. And so I started looking on Alibaba, which is, you know, if you want to source anything in China, go. And it's not all crap, you know. Okay. You can find um, – wait, now that I think back on it, I didn't find hemp. My hemp on Alibaba back up. Oh, somebody a friend of mine had gone to a trade show and found this hemp distributor and passed on their I forgot about this. Oh, passed friend. on their information to me. Um which you can find hemp on Alibaba, but these guys were through this source. It was Octave. Oh, no way. <laughs> oh, my God. That is so funny. No way, really? Because he has his company and who is at a shade um, uh, show. Pretty... Oh,
0: that's – okay. So to our listeners. Anyway, so he, um, he yeah. passed
1: on this thing. So it was just all – you know. people knew I was looking for materials. Wow. Um, and so passed on this thing. I ended up going back and forth with them. They have a headquarters in Seattle. Turns out they're the same people that Patagonia gets their hemp from Oh no way. So there we are that's a good thing. This is like wind sourcing materials as a small company, knowing that a larger company who has good morals or whatever is sourcing from them, it's like you can piggyback right. and know that you are getting quality. But so um we then went to China and visited the factory and went and saw everything and
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. And
0: also for our listeners for Octav, um for, I think it's episode, I want to say 12, um, of Conscious by Chloe. It's her husband, Octave, who is amazing and has an amazing, cool company. Um, so just for our fellow listeners too. All right. So you went to China. Um, you said we, was it you and and my,
1: my boyfriend is at this time was a big sidekick. Um, he's a, filmer and he was at the time a freelance filmer and photographer mainly. So I had my
0: (laughs) person filming
1: me the whole taking photos. So that was a really cool thing to document. I mean, it was we didn't know what we were doing. We were just like, let's get, let's go to China and just like plop down. Like it was totally crazy. Wow!
0: So you reached out to this man uh, manufacturer, and they were okay doing small batches because I know it can be really tricky, especially to source certain materials yes. when you are a small business. Yeah,
1: I don't know why they were so cool. Um, I think they really liked the product, and I did what I did was I had to buy a larger batch which was their minimum quantity and then they were super nice and they held on to it for me and then I just basically they created it all and then they like sold it to me in chunks which was just like exactly what I needed in that first year wow you know I couldn't afford and this was the yarn right or this was, was the yarn okay so the hemp they you know I talked to them about the exact kind of yarn that I wanted and then they you know create it and and so they were super I don't know how I got that lucky. They just were down, and I mean, we've come back and just are buying so much more from them. So they they really did see that potential to grow together, which is really beneficial for them. So and
0: it was a win win. Um, okay, so you now have the material, the hemp material. Um, what what happened next? Did you? Because I know you have it also
1: woven in India, right? Okay, so was that after? Well, so we have a second material in the product, which yes. is T- TPE, thermoplastic elastomers. Yeah, can you incisement. explain that? So TPE, this, again, I was I was trying out so many different materials to figure out what was the right one for this product. And, you know, at first I was kind of trying out the natural rubber, the sort of things that had that really eco-sounding vibe to them. And one day I tried TPE, a TPE mat that I'd been using on my own and was like, ah, oh, this is actually pretty cool. It's really light, not slipping. So I tried that and it ended up being, again, the perfect material. It's super squishy, but yet buoyant, really lightweight. It's perfect for weaving. And so I had to source TPE as well, which can be, it's considered an eco-friendly material in the standards of yoga mat material, but everybody has like a different version of what that means. TPE is, um, it's biodegradable. It's antimicrobial, and what is the potential of using this product is that it can be recycled into itself.
0: Gotcha. So you can't
1: take it and put it in the recycling bin. Gotcha. There's not like that isn't here, but it can be. So for instance, um, one of the we're working with a new uh, material. Um, for we're working with a new company for this material, and there's zero waste, so they can take any waste from it and just put it back in to oh. itself. So it has the qualities of like a plastic where it can be recycled ah. into itself. What is the
0: material exactly? Like is it, where does it come from? Uh, TPE
1: rubber? It's thermal. It's just like a synthetic.
0: Okay. Gotcha. It has plastomacers in it. Okay. Gotcha. So a type of plastic. Type but of, it's yeah. yeah. So it can be, it's melted down and then, um, it's a foam. Right. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Exactly. That's, yeah. I'm also not too familiar with, um, too many, uh, synthetics too, but it's one that you, that is non-toxic and that yeah. can be melted down
1: and made into it can another be, fabric. Exa- or um, Sorry, another foam. Another foam. Exactly. Gotcha. Wow. And so that's the potential of it. Um, do we see like the rubber, like the factories in China really doing that and stuff like that? Probably not as much, but so we're trying to find the people who are really trying to create that closed loop with this material because it's such a perfect material for the mat. We're always looking to improve. If we do find something that has even higher um, recycled materials in it, things like that.
0: I love that you're all about, of course, having sustainability, but also it does need to perform well too. Because I think that there are a lot of sustainable brands that will create something, but the product is not as good as doesn't, what's out in doesn't market. doesn't function, right? So it can't get up there. Right. So I think it's great the fact that you... Make sure that it also performs well, too, because it has to be a good product. Yeah, so, you okay. have
1: to balance those things. Yeah, and
0: I'm sure that that's very tricky at times. Then, can
1: you talk about the weaving process? Okay, right. Okay. So you're yeah. asking, they're made in India. Um, so we went and sourced in China. That was that first leg of the trip. And again, through Googling. <clears throat> and and it took, again, years to find Production. Wow. Because, you know, as I said, I'd spent a lot of time in Mexico, and I had it set in my head that I was going to have these made in Mexico. And I went to Mexico to kind of scope that out, and it was just, no, this isn't the right place. And, and I didn't, you know, it was all like, why? But then it's, I don't know why it took me so long to be like, India, you know, the place where yoga rugs come from. Wow. <laughs> I don't know why it took me a year to figure that out, but I finally was like India and then I, you know, started literally just started googling manufacturing India which is just a, too much to comprehend, but I um started narrowing my search to eco-friendly or um ethical and just started like throwing the terms in that I was looking for and I came across this studio that just looked perfect. Like their whole vibe was like speaking to me and um I reach out to them and they're just immediately like, yes, (laughs) come over, let's do it. They were, and um, it was so weird to get a yes after so many no's for so long. Well then also I thought about maybe in the United States, but that is just non-existent or we can pay a thousand dollars per rug if we would like to, but so that wasn't happening. Anyway, so I found the studio. They seemed so warm and excited. So we go from China and immediately fly to India And they're a small, small like sampling studio. They weren't really a production place, but I just stayed with them. And every day for a week, we just worked on sampling. I had my kind of, if you could imagine, like it was cool looking, but it was not like a functional piece necessarily, or it was kind of, but it wasn't a full, it wasn't a full bone like sturdy product that I put in front of them but they were able to look at it and be like, oh, "Okay, yes. We'll turn this into what you're looking for." And just in terms of how tight, making it tight, all that kind of, you know, the the binding of the piece took so long to figure out. It's not even funny. It was really not fun to figure out, but they were able to do it instantly. So, that's where that all started. Just working one-on-one with them and by the end of that trip, we had our first sample and then I got home and it was go time. Okay. And that, so was that
0: when you decided to launch the Kickstarter or?
1: Kickstarter isn't for another okay. year. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so Kickstarter was a ways Okay. In.
0: Gotcha. I feel like, okay, so you said go time. So what does that exactly
1: mean? So I still had some money, a little bit of money and I just, you know, I'm really fortunate to, and I think people in Portland in general, having Creatives surrounding you who have just like I need a website builder I need this I need that was able to get some really beautiful photos with my boyfriend was able to reach out to a friend gift her a ritual rug and get her super cheap website but she's a pro so it looks really nice
0: the videos and the quality of your photos are just incredible
1: yeah. so it, that helped obviously I was so low budget like so low budget on everything and um I knew that I'd put I think I put 200 units into production in India with the you know last of my money like wow. this is how much money I have left <laughs> let's do this and um you know got it was this whole learning about supply chain learning wow. about okay I need hemp to move to India I need this it was you know learning a lot and then in January of 2018 I opened my website Wow. To my like two hundred Instagram followers, and that's when I like technically, you know, quote like launched. It was just <laughs> like okay, it's I'm here, right? But you know, not really advertising, just telling people online. Yeah. So the first year was organic, just completely like, hello. Do you think you like this? Do you think you, would you like this? Okay. And then what was people's response? So I was selling like you know, little by little kind of gaining some momentum whatever that meant um i had no business plan i was literally like do people want this or not cuz i'll stop actually probably not but, <laughs> but i i just needed to know am i crazy or do people want this thing and it it and i was getting the response and i was every sale was like oh my god um and people were loving it but then the big sort of break was i was kind of twiddling around like what should i do with this product, like I have all this product coming. How am I going to get rid of this? And um, I found this expo going on at South by Southwest. It was yeah. the South by Southwest Health and Wellness Expo. And it was their first year. And I reached out and said, you know, this is my product. This looks cool. Can I come or whatever? And I applied. And they're like, yeah, you can come. It's going to be four grand for your booth and all that stuff. And I was out of money at this point. So I told him, oh, not going to make it. And they ended up coming back and saying, you know, we love we love your product. How about we just use your product as the yoga mat of the festival? And so they ended up buying 50 from me. And therefore, like, I was able to just, you know, slide in and go down to South by Southwest. So nice. that was a huge confidence booster for me, which really helped me get through the next, like, six months, which kind of led into the Kickstarter.
0: Wow. Yeah. Wow. I feel like you're just, you're so driven, you know, you're just like, go, 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 go. And I feel like, how do you, how did you keep yourself motivated
1: during the ups and downs? Oh, it's so hard. I have to say it, it was really like people talk about all the time, how hard it is to start. And it was for me really difficult to stay Positive, but then something like Southwest by Southwest would happen, and it would be like this fuel that would keep me like, like I couldn't stop after you know, and then I would start burning out again, and then some like big fuel would happen again, and that was (laughs) that's kind of been this like cadence of just like, all right, I think I'm I'm dying, I can't do this anymore, and then something will happen that it's like there's no way you know because, um, when you get those moments of reassurance. It's like, how could I stop? But it's, um, yeah, that first year was difficult because it was, I had no money really for operations. And so money was just always really difficult, which is the reality. And I just got pretty lucky in being able to just get these like quick turns here and there and like um, through going to South by Southwest, kind of taking that dive um, I met a couple wholesale partners that ended up being huge and their were hotels, so I got an order of forty while I was down there and then in order and so each risk would all of a sudden kind of lend here you go, you have some more money to keep going you ha you know so it was it was like a crazy first year, but it all turn it all led up to what do I do now and it's like Kickstarter was the next obvious yeah,
0: and then you you're um you've got fully funded. Um, so can you talk about that process to launching the Kickstarter? What it was like, what advice would you have for somebody that was, is thinking about starting a Kickstarter?
1: Yeah. Um, so we set the goal was 25 K and, and I actually w- needed more than that. And, you know, I wasn't, I, I talked to people about Kickstarter, but I kind of was just, you know, winging it in some ways I was like 25k but hopefully I get up to 50k like that would be ideal to put in a much larger larger order and like be sustaining for longer um I think that the biggest thing I would say to anybody planning on doing a kickstarter well I was I needed the money really bad and if you have a product business like you can't go dry for too long or else like you know we you risk falling off you know and um, so I rushed the Kickstarter quite a bit. It was still really beautiful. Like, you know, we put all of our effort into it, did all the things that you need to do a really nice Kickstarter. But I think that if you have the time to spend three months or so, like leading up to the Kickstarter, hyping people up about it and getting it out there into the world, being like, it's coming, it's coming. Yeah. So that people know on that first day, oh, the Kickstarter is open. We've been waiting for this. We're going to drop our money in. Because to my understanding, and this seems to be what a lot of advice is, there is an algorithm in Kickstarter. And if you don't fly off the roof, and even if you set your goal kind of low to like around 10,000 and you blow past 10,000, the algorithm will kick in. And this is to my understanding. I could be wrong, but I think there seems to be a consensus that it's all about playing with getting that recognition. Oh, that person just blew past their goal. We're paying attention now. We could maybe feature them on our. You know, you want to get featured on Kickstarter's page. That's one way to really start getting traction. Gotcha. Um, we, I feel like, did really great the first forty-eight hours. We didn't blow past our goal though because we set it pretty high. Mm-hmm. So then we were in a climb the rest of the way. Wow. Okay. You know, it's like you go. They say that it's like uh, kind of you, like the first two days are going to be huge and then it's going to drop off. It's kind of inevitable. And then it picks up and then it shoots off again the last couple. Wow. Yeah. That's okay. how I've seen a lot of Kickstarters work. Gotcha.
0: Okay. And so that's how you guys got the funding. So did you feel like you had to do
1: a lot of outreach during that time too? Okay. It was a full-time job for us to get there Some Yeah. And this is just our experience. And some people have totally different experiences, but every single day I was, I mean, it would get to the point where I'd sit on Instagram and just reach out to random people, you know, for hours and just be like, Hey, have you seen this product? Hey, have you seen this product? Hey, have you seen this product? Through their like DMs. um, We were handing out free product to as many ambassadors as we could, or not even ambassadors, just like people. We had a lot of following and be like, please, yes, yeah. please do a post. Right. It was like, um, I was doing demos all over town, just trying to get people excited about it. I did a party, you know, it was like a full blown job. And we, um, we made it to our goal and surpassed it. We made around $28,000, which, but it was a true grind for us the whole time. Um, so, that was one experience. some people have a totally different experience <laughs> well the fact that you
0: um were able to get the full funding I think is a big deal for especially for our listeners too. I've know a lot of colleagues who have tried Kickstarters and it gets super close, but then sometimes they have to back it up themselves right. or um it just they just don't get the full funding um so
1: they're really they're harder than they look yeah you know some people just get it I think get lucky.
0: I forgot that we didn't talk about this too but can you talk a little bit more about why the Ritual Rug is different than regular yoga mats?
1: Yeah. Um, well, first of all, it's a hand-woven yoga mat, just so the list is. And a lot of people, I think, don't quite understand what that means. But So the Ritual Rug is made with organic hemp, as we spoke about, and TPE. And TPE is a type of yoga mat. And so it's literally a rug that has strips of yoga mat woven throughout it. And it has 30% less of that synthetic material than any yoga mat uses. Um, It's also longer than a typical yoga mat. So we're basically taking the synthetic materials out of the product where it's not really necessary and integrating the organic hemp. Um, And so what makes it really unique? um, There's a few really cool just like points. Um, So I, as I mentioned at the very beginning, I slip. So my first goal was to create something where, when I start sweating, I mean, I don't care if the if the um, the you know the sticky mat is sticky. When I start sweating, I'm going to sweat. It needs something that's going to absorb the sweat. And so the hemp absorbs the sweat. It's moisture wicking, naturally antimicrobial. It won't smell for a very long time. So it's like putting a towel and a yoga mat into one thing. So that was the first goal with this. With this product, um, it's incredibly beautiful. Um, we don't have this product yet, but we really encourage people to leave it out. We have a DIY um, tapestry that. hanger yeah. on our website, which is you can literally hang it on your wall, and it looks. I mean, I wouldn't say an art piece, but it has a like very decorative, beautiful like tapestry vibe. So it's super, super aesthetically beautiful. Um, it's two point five pounds which the average yoga mat, like actual yoga mat, not a travel yoga mat, would be around between five and nine pounds. Um, So it's really lightweight. The other thing I was, you know, when I'm thinking about me and my ideal customer, we like to go places and we don't like to bring our yoga mat with us, even though we want to be doing yoga. So I wanted something that you can put, fold up, put it into your um, suitcase, or even just carry it on and it's not a burden
0: i love that because i've definitely been that person where um i do yoga on like a
1: carpet
0: or i yeah. just go on wood and it's you know it's fine it does the job but yeah. it's not you it's know. nice to
1: have your space that you bring with you too so it's like your little magical it totally taps into like that old like no bat nomad you can like bring your special space with you so it has and it has just this quality of it is handmade and it has more of a um just enticing kind of human element quality to it, like a sacred object kind of vibe. I, I like to say that, but... What are the future plans for Malwoven? So we are planning on really become known, becoming known as a company, as the the founders of the Ritual Rug, the creators of the Ritual Rug. And we know the yoga industry is really big. And, you know, right now we've only tapped a very, 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 very small amount of that. And we're very sure that we're going to start being able to take over a little bit of that market. Um, And we could just be ritual rug brand. But first of all, I always like to make sure this is known is that we're not a yoga brand. Um, Our next products are likely going to have nothing to do with yoga. I have this bag with me that It's woven out of plastic and it's, I got it in Oaxaca, Mexico. And that's, you know, way back when I fell in love with hand-woven goods. Um, So we're a hand-woven goods company. Um, Our next product is actually likely going to be this bag or a version of it. So we make modernized versions of products that are made in like ancient craft tradition. So we took something like a yoga rug that hasn't changed significantly in thousands of years. And we ma- we modernized it by adding the TPE, which is what the modern practitioner wants. But it's actually woven very similar to a Mysore rug. And so we want to, you know, work our next product and also like materials are really important. So the way it's made, the materials that go into it, and then who's making it, where is it coming from? What is the significance of this product in that culture? So this is really lending to what we're practicing here came from india so it's kind of like that um so we want to create more hand woven goods with those kinds of parameters and what do you see i guess to to kind of modernize
0: the this the regular satchel bag this bag Yeah.
1: well so this it wouldn't be like a brand new style of bag it's more like t- so these the ones that um i fell in love with from oaxaca they're just bucket bags so just working with them to create something that has a sleeve for, you know, a you know, like it closes and it has pockets and you can put um I have an idea of like a little nook that has grocery bags stuffed in it. And so just making it like the modern person who's going around and you're trying to live a more like mindful sustainable life, like how does your bag help you compartmentalize all of those needs throughout your day? Yep, that so, is a real thing. <laughs> yeah. And how often do you forget your little grocery bags. And it's a bummer. But so that's kind of we don't know exactly when that's gonna happen because we are focused completely on the ritual. Right, right. Um okay so you were talking about, you know, who makes the
0: the rug and the bag. Um and I know that you're good weave certified. So can
1: you explain that also? Yeah. So when well so kind of fast forward we were working with this studio, this original studio, and they are truly a sampling studio. So come, you know, when I need to really scale up, for instance, with my Kickstarter, um, it, you know, the fact that we couldn't get product soon or quickly or turn around became blaringly obvious. So therefore I, I knew I couldn't scale up with that studio at all. So this last summer, um, we actually did a investment raise this last summer, raised money from investors. And when we got our first check, Okay, I can you knew, explain that a
0: little bit? What the- no, I can yeah, go okay. into that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'll go into that. Yeah. But essentially I went back to India this last May to find a larger, a large scale manufacturer. And again, like to even comprehend, I'm going to go to India and find manufacturing. It's like, that is a huge- conquest and so i basically found GoodWeave from looking up you know certification sources and their certification their non nonprofit, they're international they're all over the globe they're very huge in india and bangladesh and things like that but um so i started there and they gave me a list of 150 manufacturers and then i had to narrow it down from there so i was like okay i'm going to this part of india where can i hit from that area of India, and I narrowed it down to ten manufacturers, and um, and I had one at the top of the list. So I went to India, and I went to as many manufacturers as I could get to. Um, but Hafizia, which is who we work with, they were at the top of the list, and they are now our manufacturer, and they're fantastic. They're absolutely amazing. So we went from having three looms to over three thousand looms, and the capability to scale, and they're just fantastic and was there a reason why they were your top choice i looked at their website um everything you can look at websites and it could just be a facade and then you go to the place and it's like what is you know manufacturing in uh, in india or just a lot of other countries are can you know obviously be surprising but that's just the reality and that's not really our business, but if you're, as you know, somebody from America, want to manufacture, you need to have shared values and standards. And so I could just feel that from this place. like So much transparency, so much information about the actual weavers, the facilities. They have this lush, beautiful garden out front of their facility where all the weavers can... They can actually garden there, but they can take lunches. So and then Good Weave, their main thing, um, they started out in trying to completely stop child labor. So all of there, which is a huge issue. Yeah.
0: Can you talk about that, especially for our listeners who don't really know yeah. about child labor that happens? Yeah.
1: And we, you know, we've heard about sweatshops and child labor from all over the world. It's really, really bad in India and in a lot of places, and obviously they're they're very impoverished. And so honestly no judgment, but from our and that's something they deal with. But if we are going to manufacture and we have certain standards here in the US we have to find those types of standards because that's ethical and um so they've been going through and certifying manufacturers to make sure there's no child labor but um and then also fair pay or w- working wage clean facilities you can go down the list there's a a list that i don't have that they but their big thing was child labor and our manufacturer goes above and beyond and they actually help pay for the children's school uniforms and they require that the parents bring a, um, what's it called? A, a card, a, um, grades card. What do you call it? (laughs) Grade. Uh, like a, um, like yeah,
0: I know what you're, I know what you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> they're great. So we yeah, have to bring their ha- grades. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's to like prove that we they're haven't actually. We've been in school for a yeah, while. <laughs> <we're> like, <laughs> I, <laughs> I think
0: people are know what we're talking yeah. about.
1: Yeah, they're like, what do you? Um, so, anyways, they like you have to bring proof that your kids are in school, uh, and okay. so they're really in their village. Gotcha. So the really, people
0: that work there, um, they uh, show that their kids. Sorry, the people that are um, the adults that are there weaving, um, they their kids bring their um, grades so people so they can see that just when they're making exactly making
1: sure the parents are are actually making sure their kids are in school and doing that because that's the whole the ripple effect of like we're going to pay you guys so that you don't have to make your kids work and then let's make sure your kids get into school simultaneously. So it's a really above and beyond um, they're just a a really cool company and we're, we're super, super psyched to be working with them.
0: And have you, um, gone out there to visit them yet or? So I,
1: in May I went there and that's when I went to those 10 different.
0: I think it's amazing that the fact that you actually go visit the manufacturers, because I think a lot of people can just assume, you know, they'll just that's where you can get in trouble. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, as somebody who, um, was sourcing a lot of fabric. Um, I think that was one of the things that bugged me the most is, you know, not really knowing exactly. You can see all the certifications you want. You can have all the emails that you want and third party telling you, Mm -hmm. yeah, this is certified, but you don't really know. You don't really know what happens. Our standards
1: are different Yeah, and we see things differently and that's, you can't just, you know. Um, And I think that's a part of our, so we are like a benefits an Oregon benefits corporation so things like spending money on going to our factories is that's a part of our philosophy and can our you ethos. explain that the Oregon benefits um yeah I can't totally it's like being a b corp but it, we are registered in Oregon specifically so we don't get to use that logo that everybody knows but we it's the same kind of concept where our investors know that we put you know environment sustainability all of these things before profit so Things like having ethical relationships with our manufacturers and actually knowing and being on the ground to see so that we can actually speak truth to our product. Um, That's all really important. And that's not about profit. That's about ethics. So, yeah.
0: I love the fact that you actually have physically been there. You've met the people. You've seen it instead of just assuming and telling people, "Yeah, it's this sort of certification." There's no child labor, but never really seeing it with your bare eyes. You have to see it.
1: And I went to different places, and it was like night and day. Night, like wow, just seriously. You walk in, you're like, "Whoa, wow, what is going on here?" Wow, I've got to go. Wow, yeah, it's it's just the reality. Total relief to find. These people who are like kicking ass. And- well,
0: yeah, I mean, and actually staying true to what their message is too. And I think especially for listeners who you know are creating a product design uh, product um, business, I think it's important to really ask the questions and go
1: there and physically mm-hmm. be there than just assume. I mm-hmm. think that's and creating relationships. It's that's my favorite part. Is I know Nadim on the other side, and I'm like, you know, I just have like friendships with these people. So the whole like work. Environment feels a little weird. Maybe I should not have such. I'm just like I love those. No, guys. it's great. But it's, I mean, yeah, it's they're like, not just workers. They're like, yeah, they're not cogs in the machine. They're helping. They're a part of our business. Is instead of this, just seeing them as manufacturers, it's like no, they're like Woven's team. I have a special place in my heart. <laughs> I wish
0: more companies were like you. Um, <laughs> I hope that people like you keep on setting the bar like that and having other mm-hmm. companies. Try to match it too, um okay, so you have invest had investors mm-hmm. um, what
1: was that process like? yeah, so um after the Kickstarter I pretty much a month after it realized I needed more money because that's just the beast you all you know i didn't really understand how a business operated at this time, which was my Achilles Heel. I was the person who had a really great idea, but like no idea how to actually run a sustainable business. Um, but I kept getting these, you know, signals that this is a great idea, don't give up, you know. And so I ended up getting introduced to a woman whose name is Sarah Batterby. Sarah Batterby. She's English. Um, and she runs something, a company called um, she changed it recently, but it's basically called the Masterclass of Fundraising. And I in January. So now we're a year out from launching. I do this because it was kind of like a just free for all, like figuring out if this is actually a thing. So not a lot of structure in that first year. Um I met her. She took me on as a I guess you could call it a student or a mentor, a mentee. And it was a three month intensive program with her where I learned the ins and outs of investing or if investors, how to talk to them, how to create an investor package um, how to speak the money of raising money. And then also, most importantly, I learned how to build out a working pro forma. So I'd never worked in spreadsheets before. I don't know why I don't, I <laughs> art school didn't do that. And so I that was a huge Achilles heel for me, though, is to be able to project and watch my finances and run the business. And so I learned how to do that with her. And that was like, that changed everything, you know? Um and through that process I met my business partner Liz who you met and her and I joined forces um, and set off to raise money last summer. Wow, yeah.
0: okay. Yeah, and then can you talk a little bit for our listeners who have not met Liz or do not know who Liz is? Can you yeah. talk
1: a little bit about her? Yeah, so Liz um she's been in Portland since 96, I believe, and she was really is really been involved in the yoga scene. She worked at Yoga Pearl, started at Yoga Pearl when that got going, which is kind of this hub of yoga in Portland, um, was a yoga teacher, eventually went on to work for Bar 3 um, and helped triple that franchise. She's very sales. She's comes from a very sales, I call it, she's like the extrovert of the brand. I I mean, another Achilles heel for me is I hate, like, I've always just had the hardest time, like, getting out there and being like, this is the ritual, this is why, and I'm just like so afraid of people criticizing it and all this stuff where she's like, it's great. Um,
0: she's just, she was like that to me. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just,
1: I was like, I don't know. Um, I'm just like, yeah, I'm like the introvert. She's the extrovert. and we, we very much balance each other out. I got very lucky in meeting somebody who's kind of a, um, a balance to my creative, my, um, my will, of course, but um, I'm less of a, extro- you know, I don't need to be out there all the time. And so, She's um the sales. She's very like, let's grow this, let's get out there. Um, and so she came on, and she has, she had more of a network here in Portland, which made it easier to start talking to people, and that turning into what turned into investors.
0: What advice would you have for a fellow entrepreneur that is starting a sustainable
1: product business? Um, I would, I would get on the whole, like knowing your stuff about cost of goods as soon as possible and really starting to think about how you could have an amazing idea and obviously drive is going to get you really far but you know if i understood how economics the economics of the product, worked earlier on i could have saved myself from going so thin at times um so really try to understand As early on, how much your product is costing you from every single touch point. How how much was shipping from here to there, Um, and because it took like a year for me to have any concept of how much I was spending on this product, I just knew it was. This would freak out any investor if I said this to them. (laughs) But (laughs) but I had my shit together before I went out. Um, But just like knowing. The less creative because I think that you know product developers tend to be sort of on that like really optimistic and things like that, but like just try spending some time in a spreadsheet and laying everything out and so that you know exactly how much you need to charge for this thing um, because that will it doesn't honestly anybody will tell you this it sometimes doesn't matter how good the product is you need the back end you need the cogs you need the systems yeah. in order to keep it going and right. don't ever downplay that and if you need to reach out and find people um, it took me way too long I think almost you know I, I have to give myself some you know compassion but I almost waited too long you know to to reach out and find somebody who could help me with this part of the business that wasn't functioning and you know and maybe I felt shame around it or something or maybe I didn't even know it was missing but that stuff is so important. Yeah. As somebody who has made several products
0: too, that knowing your cost of goods and your overhead is like, mm-hmm. it's so important.
1: Yeah. That's, and you can do it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. It's
1: you, actually something you can figure out.
0: You know, yeah. I think it's just sitting down and like understanding it is if you it's actually- It's empowering. It really is because mm-hmm. you actually understand what's going on. I mean, I have, uh, when I was a fashion designer and- uh, I had a mentorship too. And he asked me, you know, like how much is this going to cost? I remember just like tried to just do it off my head and it was, the numbers are completely off. Oh, <laughs> and he looked at this and he's like, yeah, you have no clue what you're doing. Yeah. So I think knowing your cost of goods. So also, okay. So how do you, how do you stay balanced while running the business? Um,
1: I'm still figuring that out. Um, it's, you know, I'll just be totally honest. I think honesty is better is I have reached burnout for sure but i have come back i i think because because i do have a yoga practice because i do know that getting outside doing yoga being active is a way to balance i know that's going to balance me out but sometimes i do have to take a complete week off um and i actually just went to mexico um to de stress because this you can get so it's we are a startup people you know people in portland might know about us but rest of the world and it's just this again it's almost like kickstarter every single day um and it can be so incredibly draining and the worst part is when your joy gets dimmed it turns into just stress and so my business partner Liz and I we have been really taking our um space away from the business very seriously but also trying to find days where we we don't get on our computers and her and I just go out go on a hike or go just do yoga go sit at a coffee shop and just talk no technology and just connect with each other and um ideate get excited again and so we've really found and I mean this is after so many trials I I think this last fall we were working nonstop to get our new website ready cuz we relaunched in December and it was just this feeling of just I don't even, what i I feel like startup entrepreneurs talk about is this feeling of like, when is this going to (laughs) end? But then again, it's like those sparks of joy just keep you going. Um, But I really think when you notice yourself getting that place, saying it out loud, turning off the computer, that's what our product is about, which was kind of our irony was like, we're all about getting away from technology and going and sitting on this thing. So, we need to do that more in order to feel like we can speak truth about our brand, but it's it's a real grind,
0: yeah, I mean that makes sense too um, I mean, living in allegiance to your values is so important, especially for the product that you create too is you have to they have to align um but it's hard I mean, you know, having a balance is i think uh I don't think anybody has like the perfect balance it's all about a little, you know give yeah, at a little- least
1: being conscious that that's what um has been a big, you know, being conscious of the need to balance is a step in the right direction. Because I think real burnout for people happens when they go so far down and they burn, you know, at both sides to where the business is going to fail because there's no more energy, you know. And so that's not good business, you know, taking care of yourself, um, not just staring at a computer screen. That's not what is going to make it work all the time. Yeah. Sometimes you have to talk yourself out of it. Yeah,
0: I agree with a hundred percent. Um and then so what keeps you inspired also?
1: Um, doing stuff like this. It, it's so fun to go through the story and just be like, Whoa, you're still alive. <laughs> um this kind of thing. Um just these small steps of people getting excited about it because it used to just be me in my basement on my loom being like, this is so cool. And then- (laughs) I have a great image of you. (laughs) It was like, it was literally a dark basement. Um, And and then just these small snippets of like, oh, other, more and more and more people are starting to catch on and find it valuable. And sharing the story is pure joy. Like both Liz and I love talking about the product to other people and the business um what was your question was it what keeps you inspired keeps me inspired yeah just um sharing the story and being excited about it's propagating
0: yeah I mean I feel like uh as somebody who you know this is our first time meeting in person Mm -hmm. um I think it's amazing the story of the fact that you guys actually, like I said, physically go to the manufacturers. I think that's one step further than most small companies or really any company would do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think sharing that story, and especially for our listeners too, like it's very inspiring. Mm-hmm. So, um, okay. So, how can people get in touch with you?
1: They can email me. Um, it's Kelly, K E L L Y, at ma w o v e n s wovens.com yeah and instagram and our instagram is ma underscore wovens
0: cool well kelly thank you so much thank for being you. on the show
1: thank you so much
0: hey entrepreneurs thanks for tuning in if you've enjoyed this episode come on over and join me at the entrepreneur show i'd love to hear your story and what positive impacts you're making in the world anyways hope you're having an awesome day and i'll see you in the next episode